Hey guys, are you thinking about starting your own podcast? If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me give you the details. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome back to True Crime Cat Lawyer. I'm your host, Elise, joined by my co-host, Winston the Cat. Every other week, Winston and I will bring you a new story about a murder, disappearance, or serial killer with a special focus on cases from our hometown, the Pacific Northwest. Just a reminder, this podcast contains content of a graphic nature that might not be suitable for all listeners, including descriptions of violence, sexual assault, and crimes against animals and children. Listener discretion is advised. Today's episode involves crimes against children, so if you're particularly sensitive to this content, I recommend skipping this episode. I'll be telling you the tragic story of the Longo family, Mary Jane, Madison, Sadie, Zach, and Christian. I'm going to do things a little bit differently and tell you what happened, then go back to the beginning and figure out how we got to that point. On December 19th, 2001, the body of a young boy was found floating in the Lint Slough, 15 miles south of Newport, Oregon. The boy was wearing nothing but a pair of underwear. Three days later, on December 22nd, the body of a young girl was found in the same area. She, too, was only wearing her underwear. The two children were identified as three-year-old Sadie Longo and her brother, four-year-old Zachary Longo. The bodies of the children were weighed down by pillowcases filled with rocks. Investigators instantly knew this was no accident. Someone had purposely dumped these poor children into the water. As police began to question those who knew the children, they discovered the remaining members of the Longo family, Chris, Mary Jane, and Madison, were nowhere to be found. The search efforts were increased as there was great concern for the well-being of the rest of the Longo family. On December 27, 2001, divers found two suitcases containing the bodies of 34-year-old Mary Jane Longo and 2-year-old Madison Longo. Due to her small size, Madison's suitcase was weighed down with clothes and a dumbbell. Strands of hair were sticking out of the suitcase in which Mary Jane's naked body was found. 
As almost the entire Longo family was found deceased, police began to wonder if Christian Longo was another victim or if he was the perpetrator of the execution of his entire family. A preliminary autopsy was performed on Zach and Sadie, indicating the two children were still alive when they were dumped in the slough. Their cause of death was drowning. Once police had the autopsy report, it didn't take long for them to shift their focus from Longo as a victim to Longo as a murderer. A warrant was obtained for Longo's arrest on seven counts of aggravated first-degree murder. The problem was, Longo had a head start on his escape, and he was nowhere to be found. I want to take you back to the beginning, because while murder is never justified, especially the murder of innocent children, the beginning of Chris and Mary Jane's story will shed some light on how and why we got to the conclusion of the story on December 19, 2001. I want to be clear, I do not empathize with Longo, nor do I believe there is any excuse to justify murdering his entire family. My hope in telling the background story is that we can understand the potential warning signs of dangerous individuals before they escalate to the point of no return. Christian Longo, who went by Chris, was born in 1974. His birth father was incredibly abusive to Longo and his mother. Once Longo's mother left his biological father, the family became devout Jehovah's Witnesses. Longo was raised by his mother and stepfather in Michigan. He wasn't allowed to hang out with anyone who wasn't also a witness. But by all accounts, Longo had a decent childhood after his mother remarried. Longo's stepfather, Joe, made good money, and Longo was spoiled. Longo was homeschooled in the 80s and 90s, leaving him somewhat undereducated. He wanted to be successful, like his stepfather, and in Longo's mind, having money and material possessions meant you were successful. Mary Jane Baker was born on April 25, 1967. Her parents, Jim and Susan Baker, divorced in the early 1970s. After the divorce, Susan, Mary Jane, and Mary Jane's brother and three sisters became Jehovah's Witnesses. As part of her upbringing as a devout Jehovah's Witness, Mary Jane wanted nothing more than to be a wife and a mother. Longo and Mary Jane met at church when he was just 19 and she was 26. Despite the age difference, the two got married within five months of meeting one another. At that time, Mary Jane was working as a secretary for the University of Michigan School of Dentistry. Longo was the Midwestern manager for a newspaper distribution company, although he told everyone he worked for the actual newspaper company, not the distributor. Initially, the marriage seemed great to outsiders looking in. Longo was described as a quote-unquote good catch due to his lifelong membership with the Jehovah's Witnesses there were signs of Longo's issues early on. For example, when he decided to propose to Mary Jane, he went out and bought a $3,000 engagement ring, which he definitely couldn't afford. He actually stole money from his employer at the time, a camera store, in order to cover the cost of one of his monthly payments. The manager of the camera store turned Longo into the police, despite Longo repaying the debt and resigning his position. Longo was arrested for misdemeanor embezzlement. 
Because of this arrest, Longo actually lost some status in the Jehovah Witness Church, and he wasn't allowed to marry Mary Jane in the Kingdom Hall, which must have been incredibly embarrassing for Mary Jane. She was a committed member of the Jehovah's Witness community, and she wanted to be the best wife and mother that she could be. Longo tried to make it up to Mary Jane by taking her on lots of vacations in the late 90s. But things began to change when the couple started having kids. Zachary was born on February 28, 1997. Sadie was born on April 30, 1998. And Madison was born on October 29, 1999. So within the span of a little over two years, their family of two became a family of five. Mary Jane stopped working to stay at home and take care of the kids, leaving Longo to figure out how to provide for his growing family. Unsurprisingly, Longo had a huge ego and was too proud to ask for help. Given his limited education, Longo never really found a career for himself, but he still expected to earn a six-figure salary. Longo actually went to a car dealership to test drive a minivan using a fake license, and he simply never returned the van. Mary Jane became a little suspicious when no bills were received for the new van, so Longo actually created monthly statements on his computer to show her and pretend to pay each month. Longo began maxing out the couple's credit cards and was strapped for cash all the time. In February 2000, Longo convinced his stepfather to invest in his new business venture, Final Touch Construction Cleaning. But Longo didn't have the experience or financial savvy to properly manage the startup. By spring 2000, Longo's cash flow was depleted and he couldn't pay his employees. Longo began forging checks from his largest client, Wexford Builders, to himself for nearly $300,000. On July 14, 2000, Longo attempted to cash a seventh check at one of the banks he'd already cashed a forged check at. He provided his actual license, and the bank teller was suspicious enough to call the police. By the time the police arrived, Longo had fled the scene, but in his hurry to get away, Longo left his driver's license at the bank. So, of course, police tracked him down and arrested him. Longo admitted to forging the checks, and he was charged with four felonies, carrying a total of up to 14 years in prison. Longo pled guilty, but he received no jail time. Longo had no prior criminal history. He pled guilty relatively quickly. The judge felt he was remorseful and Longo was the sole support of his family of five. So Longo was ordered to meet with his probation officer every month, complete 80 hours of community service, and pay restitution of $905 a month. This arrest really chipped at the perfect marriage Longo and Mary Jane seemed to have. And as if the arrest wasn't bad enough, Longo also admitted to having an emotional affair with an unknown woman. Longo claimed Mary Jane was quote-unquote no fun since she gave birth and didn't give him enough attention, which is an absolutely disgusting statement 
made by a spoiled, selfish, bratty child. After the arrest for Czech forgery, the Longo family was essentially shunned by the Jehovah's Witness community, which, again, for someone as devout as Mary Jane, was incredibly difficult. She was trying to be a committed wife to Longo, while also juggling her commitment to the church, both of which were at opposition with one another. Longo promised Mary Jane that he wouldn't lie to her again and he wouldn't do anything criminal again. But of course, Longo wouldn't keep this promise. He quickly took out a credit card in his stepfather Joe's name without his knowledge and proceeded to accumulate over $100,000 in debt. He bought jet skis, a boat, all of these material possessions that he believed would show how well the family was doing financially. He even paid for Mary Jane to have laser eye surgery. But this charade couldn't go on forever. Longo began falling behind on his restitution payments and was behind on rent for the house the family rented from Mary Jane's parents. Rather than finding a job to support his family, in May 2001, Longo decided to sell Mary Jane's parents' house and move the family out of state. There are a few problems with this plan, if you can even call it that. First, the Longos had only paid about $8,000 in equity into the house, so they really didn't make any money on the sale of the home. Second, Longo wouldn't let Mary Jane tell her family where they were going. To be fair, I'm not sure that Longo himself really knew where the family was headed. And third, Longo was still on probation. He couldn't leave the state of Michigan without permission from the court and his probation officer. But apparently that didn't matter to Longo. He picked up the family and moved them to Toledo, Ohio in late May or early June of 2001. Once the family got to Ohio, Longo negotiated a $2,000 per month lease of a warehouse. He promised the landlord he would pay $14,000 for the lease, so he planned on staying in Ohio for at least a short stint. But Longo didn't have a job, and the family didn't have any savings, so how exactly he was going to pay for all this money and rent was a mystery. To top it off, the warehouse didn't have a kitchen or adequate plumbing. Longo promised Mary Jane he would remodel the space so it would be functional for the family, but he never did. In order to buy food and other necessities for the family, Longo began selling stolen equipment, including a skid loader, a trailer, and a boat trailer. And despite his earlier promise to Mary Jane, he once again started forging checks. In July, Mary Jane's sister Sally traveled to Toledo to see the children and Mary Jane. She met them once at a zoo and another time at a museum in the Toledo area. Mary Jane refused to tell Sally where exactly the family was living in the Toledo area. Later that month, Mary Jane's mom, Susan, spoke with her on the phone. This was the last conversation Susan ever had with her daughter and she told Mary Jane that she was worried about her and the kids. 
It's at this point that Mary Jane's family lost touch with Mary Jane and the kids. They had absolutely no idea where the family was or how they were doing. Longo's probation officer had issued a warrant for his arrest for a probation violation after Longo failed to tell his probation officer that he moved and for missing two check-in appointments. Warrants were also issued in Ohio related to the stolen goods Longo sold. Longo had caught wind of these warrants, and sometime in August, the Longo family left Toledo, Ohio. Before they left the state, Longo sold Mary Jane's engagement ring. It's unclear where exactly the family stopped along the way, but they were headed towards the West Coast. It's been theorized by some that Longo told Mary Jane that this was a family vacation in order to get her on board with picking up and moving once again. And again, not telling anyone where they were or where they were going. In late August, Mary Jane left a voicemail for her sister Sally, letting her know she wouldn't be able to attend a Jehovah's Witness district assembly she'd promised to attend with Sally and Susan, her mom. Sally was incredibly concerned after receiving this voicemail. Remember, second only to her children, Mary Jane's faith was of the utmost importance to her. So missing this assembly raised red flags in Sally's mind, and she immediately drove to Toledo. Since she didn't know where the family had been living when they were in Toledo, Sally just drove around, hoping she'd find their van or she would see the family out walking. Sally eventually spotted the family dog, an Alaskan husky, tied up in the yard of the warehouse property. The landlord refused to let Sally in, likely due to the unpaid rent Longo owed to him. When Sally returned to Michigan and reported what she found to the rest of Mary Jane's family, their other sister, Penny, filed a missing persons report with Michigan State Police. It wasn't until that police report was filed that Mary Jane's family learned that Longo had outstanding warrants for his arrest in Michigan. After finding out about the warrants in Michigan, Mary Jane's family heads back to Toledo and files another missing persons report there for both Mary Jane and the children. The Toledo police went to the Longo's warehouse property on August 30th to investigate a complaint of stolen property. When they went inside the warehouse, they found that the family had left most of their belongings behind, including Mary Jane's wedding dress and family photo albums. It was clear to police that the family had left in a hurry. In early September, the Longo family arrived at a KOA campground near the Oregon coast. Mary Jane wrote out two postcards, one to her mother Susan and one to her sister Sally, so they wouldn't worry about her and the kids. Longo told Mary Jane he would mail the postcards out, but he didn't. He held on to them for another two months. More on that later. At some point on their way across the country, Mary Jane's cell phone was disconnected for failure of payment. So now Mary Jane's family had absolutely no idea where Mary Jane and the kids were, and they had no way of communicating with Mary Jane. After a short stint at the KOA campground, the Longo family moved further down the Oregon coast. 
Initially, Longo was able to sweet-talk his way into a furnished home in Waldport, Oregon, about five hours from the Oregon-California border. It's unclear what Longo's plan was. The family was completely out of money, completely out of credit, and Longo hadn't yet found a job. Unsurprisingly, the family is evicted from the Waldport house for failure to pay rent by early October. Longo took the family back up north to the city of Newport, where the family bounced around from various motels. Longo applied for a job at a Starbucks inside a grocery store. He was hired as a part-time barista, making $7.40 per hour. Let me say that again. Longo was working part-time for $7.40 an hour and had to feed, clothe, and house his family of five. Always wanting to keep up appearances, Longo told his co-workers he was only working there to earn a little extra spending money. He had plenty of money and didn't actually need the job, which we know was a complete lie. Longo and Mary Jane had had several discussions about Longo returning to the elder Jehovah's Witnesses and starting to get back on the straight and narrow with them, so to speak. In an effort to appease her, Longo told Mary Jane he would be traveling to South Dakota to meet with the organization in early November. Longo drove the family to Portland, Oregon, where he used his saved-up mileage to book a round-trip ticket for himself, while Mary Jane and the kids stayed in a hotel near the Portland airport. Longo went to the family storage unit and broke the lock off the unit because he no longer had the key, as the storage unit facility had taken possession of the unit after Longo failed to pay his bill. Longo picked out dress clothes from the storage unit, as well as two suitcases. At some point during this excursion, he mailed out the two postcards that Mary Jane had written to Sally and Susan. The postcard stated that Longo was involved in a quote-unquote training program and that the family was traveling. Because Sally and Susan received these postcards in early November, police in Michigan and Ohio closed their missing persons cases. After obtaining the various items from the storage unit, Longo drove back to the airport and returned to Portland. It's unclear if he actually intended to meet with the Jehovah's Witness elders or if any meeting took place. Near the end of November, Longo moved the family of five into a one-bedroom condo at the landing. He told the desk clerk he worked for a telephone company and needed an apartment for two to three months. The condos were usually $100 per night, well above the $22 per night Longo had paid for the motels and well outside his Starbucks wages. It wouldn't be long before Longo would be in a financial bind again. Only this time, he had a far more sinister plan to save himself. On December 11th, an arrest warrant for Longo was requested in Lincoln County, alleging that Longo had stolen two crab rings. This arrest warrant request was denied due to the, quote, failure to state any probative evidence, end quote, that Longo was the thief. When Longo's information was entered into the police's database, the warrants from Michigan and Ohio didn't show up. 
so Oregon police had no idea that Longo was a wanted man. A few days later, Longo drove Mary Jane and the kids to Wilsonville, two hours from Newport, to attend a church service, despite there being a church in Newport. Longo didn't attend the service with his family. Instead, he went to a Dodge dealership. On December 17th, Longo told the desk clerk at the landing that he was taking Mary Jane and the kids to the airport as they would be returning to Michigan. It's unclear why Longo shared this information. It's possible that he told the desk clerk this because the Longo family was set to be evicted from the landing and Longo would need a cover story for what happened to his family after that date. Later that night, Longo went to his work's Christmas party and told his co-workers that Mary Jane had left him for another man. On December 18th, a couple of maids working at the Newport Motor Inn across the street from the Starbucks where Longo worked found various bags of trash in one of the dumpsters at the motel. Inside the trash bags were family photo albums, baby books, diapers, and Mary Jane's wallet. On the day Zach's body was found, Longo told his friend that he and Mary Jane were having marital problems and that he took Mary Jane and the kids to the airport to return to Michigan. He also made plans with the same friend to go shopping in Wilsonville on December 22nd, the day Sadie's body would be found. Police found out Longo was off work on December 18th, but worked December 19th and 20th. That's right. While his children were dead and floating in the Lint Slough, Longo was making coffee for last-minute Christmas shoppers. But no one knew the Longo family was dead at this point. Police weren't on Longo's trail yet, so it wasn't extremely suspicious when Longo picked up his paycheck on December 21st, but failed to show up for his graveyard shift that evening. Prior to finding Sadie's body on December 22nd, police went to Longo's condo. That's when they learned about the pending eviction and that Longo had last been seen by the manager on December 17th. Officers searched the condo, but it was empty other than toys and trash left behind. But there was no sign of any of the family members. Once Zach and Sadie had been identified, investigators learned Mary Jane's family had filed missing persons reports in Michigan and Ohio. While investigators were locating the bodies of the members of the Longo family, Longo himself was on the run. On December 22nd, Longo arrived in San Francisco, California. He had just $200, so this moron decided he'd apply to work at a Starbucks in the San Francisco area. He used his real name and real cell phone number on the job application. On December 26th, Longo was told that his application was still pending. For some reason, this was the point where Longo realized Starbucks would be calling to check his references and would find out about his quote-unquote troubles in Oregon. Prior to leaving Newport, Longo had stolen credit card information, so he used this information to purchase a one-way ticket to Cancun, Mexico. As I mentioned at the beginning, an arrest warrant was issued for Longo on December 27th. 
Longo arrived in Cancun on December 28th. Meanwhile, search warrants were executed for the Longo's condo and the family van. This is when police found out about the Starbucks application Longo had filled out in San Francisco, so they left a voicemail asking Longo to come in for an interview. But of course, Longo never returned their phone call. A memorial service was held for Mary Jane, Zach, Sadie, and Madison on January 5th, 2002. The next day, investigators found Longo's car, a stolen Dodge Durango, at the San Francisco airport. Inside the Durango, police found pillowcases matching those found with Zach and Sadie's body, as well as toys, kids' movies, and a book titled Running from the Law. At this point, police couldn't be sure whether Longo was still in the San Francisco area or if he had left on a plane. If the latter were true, Longo could be anywhere. On January 11, 2002, the man whose credit card information Longo had stolen contacted police about some suspicious charges on his statement, including the purchase of a plane ticket to Cancun, Mexico. The FBI placed Longo on its 10 most wanted list and offered a $50,000 reward for Longo's apprehension. If you weren't disgusted by Longo's behavior throughout this episode, be prepared to hate on him even more. While Mary Jane's family was burying Mary Jane and her three beautiful young children, Longo was living it up in Mexico. He decided to tell people he was Michael Finkel, a contract journalist for the New York Times. There's a whole separate piece of Longo's story that involves the Michael Finkel saga, but I'm not going to cover that story here because to me, it really just glorifies Longo's ego, and I don't want to do that. So if you want more information on the Michael Finkel angle, check out the book and movie True Story. Due to the media hype of this case and his placement on the top 10 most wanted list of the FBI, Longo was arrested in Mexico on either January 13th or 14th of 2002. There were conflicting reports as to the date in my research. For some reason, Longo didn't oppose extradition back to the United States. When he returned, Longo's bail was set at $2.5 million. And we all know he didn't have that kind of money, so of course he remained in prison. The prosecution had overwhelming circumstantial evidence against Longo, including evidence of premeditation for the murders. While he was incarcerated, pending trial, Longo wrote a letter to Keith Hunter Jesperson, aka the Happy Face Killer, who we covered in episode 5. Jesperson actually wrote Longo back and told him that if Longo pled guilty to two of the murders, the DA would quote-unquote probably agree not to prosecute the other murders. As you might recall, this is what Jesperson did in his own case. So on the advice of a serial killer, Longo pled guilty to the murders of Mary Jane and Madison. But Jesperson's advice didn't go according to plan. The prosecutor still planned to try Longo for the murders of Zach and Sadie. Longo's trial for the murders of Zach and Sadie began on March 10, 2003. Longo's attorneys declined to make an opening statement. 
Their strategy was to try and cast doubt on the date that the murders took place. By now, you're well aware of Longo's ego, so it should be no shock when I tell you that he testified in his own defense, against the advice of his attorneys. He told the jury he was, quote, successful, but cursed by bad luck, end quote. Everything was always someone else's fault. Longo testified that he last saw Zach, Sadie, and Madison just before 2 p.m. on the afternoon of December 17th, when Mary Jane and the kids dropped him off at work. And here's why Longo's attorneys told him not to testify. Longo told the jury he killed Mary Jane because he came home from work the night of December 17th to find that Mary Jane had killed Zach and Sadie. Longo testified that he strangled Mary Jane for what she had done to Zach and Sadie, and he testified that he found Madison barely alive, so he strangled her as some sort of mercy killing. Obviously, Longo's attorneys knew how this testimony would be perceived by the jury, which is why they told Longo not to do it. The cherry on top of Longo's testimony was his statement that he would have taken all the blame if the prosecutor had taken the death penalty off the table. Everything I read from Mary Jane's family makes it clear that Mary Jane was a wonderful mother. She had no history of violence or a bad temper, and her small stature made it physically unlikely, nearly impossible, that she would have been able to dump her children in the bay with heavy rocks attached to their bodies. Longo's plan B had also backfired. The jury took just four hours to deliberate, and the verdict wasn't in his favor. Longo appeared stunned by the jury's verdict and could not believe that the jury didn't find him credible. Longo was guilty of the murders of his wife, Mary Jane, his four-year-old son, Zach, and his daughters, Sadie and Madison, three and two. The penalty verdict involved all four murders, as Longo had already pled guilty to the murders of Mary Jane and Madison, which is the same thing as being convicted of the murders of Zach and Sadie for the purposes of sentencing. On count one, regarding the murder of Mary Jane, the jury had four questions to answer. Number one, quote, was the conduct of the defendant that caused the death of Mary Jane Longo committed deliberately and with the reasonable expectation that the death of Mary Jane Longo would result, end quote, to which the jury answered yes. Question number two, quote, is there a probability that the defendant would commit criminal acts of violence that would constitute a continuing threat to society? End quote. To which the jury also answered yes. Question number three. Quote, was the conduct of the defendant in killing Mary Jane Longo unreasonable in response to the provocation, if any, of Mary Jane Longo? End quote. The jury answered yes. And finally, question number four. Quote, should the defendant receive a death sentence? End quote. The jury answered yes. The same four questions were asked for Zach, Sadie, and Madison. And the jury answered yes to each question 
for each child. Mary Jane's family members give victim impact statements at Longo's sentencing. Her sister Sally told the judge that Mary Jane was a, quote, wonderful mother, sister, daughter, and friend, end quote. She also made it clear that the only thing Mary Jane was, quote unquote, guilty of was trying to be a good wife and mother. Sally spoke about how she wouldn't get to see her nieces and nephew grow up or see them achieve their hopes and dreams. She also told the judge that her son, who was close to Zach, both in age and bond, hadn't been the same since he lost his cousin. Sally's words made it clear that Mary Jane, Zach, Sadie, and Madison were treasured by their family, and there was an incredible void within the entire family due to their loss. Penny also gave a victim impact statement for herself, her sister Jenny, and her brother Mark. She told the judge, quote, Mary Jane was the kind of beautiful person that I strive to be, and she did it without effort, end quote. She echoed Sally's statements when she stated, quote, Let there be no doubt in anyone's mind that Mary Jane was completely devoted and an outstanding mother, sister, daughter, and unfortunately, wife, end quote. Mary Jane's family wanted to make sure that despite Longo's testimony to the contrary, Mary Jane wasn't the kind of mother that could do anything to harm her children. Her devotion to being a mother and a wife was clear through Sally and Penny's statements about Mary Jane. And because his ego never takes a break, Longo also gave a statement at his sentencing. He apologized for all the pain he'd caused and he apologized to his parents. He stated, quote, I don't deserve forgiveness, end quote. And he told the judge he was, quote, starting to feel remorse, end quote. I'm doubtful as to the amount of remorse he even felt, particularly since he waited nearly 10 years to admit that he had blamed Mary Jane for everything instead of taking responsibility to begin with. Longo was sentenced to death and he later gave up his appeal rights. He remains incarcerated at the Oregon State Penitentiary in Salem, Oregon. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Please subscribe and leave a review if you like the show. You can email case suggestions or comments to truecrimecatlawyer at gmail.com, and you can find us on Twitter at truecrimecatlaw and on Instagram at truecrimecatlawyer. You can also find our discussion group on Facebook by searching for True Crime Cat Lawyer in the group section. If you're interested in learning more about my producer, you can check out her Instagram at WinstonTheCatPDX. Thanks again for listening and stay tuned for our next episode.